0: Herzlich willkommen to the Syncopated Sisters. This podcast will celebrate and highlight the women who were active in the creation and development of blues and jazz. You will hear about female musicians, composers, band leaders, and more. There will also be interviews with female artists from the jazz and swing scenes of today. I'm Nina Thaler from Berlin, host and creator of this series. Enjoy listening. It is time for another exciting episode of the Syncopated Sisters podcast. And again, with a very special guest. Today, I have invited Beatrice Jugert to join me. Bea is an artist and performer, and she runs her own ceramic studio. You can see her art live, or you can check out BeatriceJugert.com. You can find these um, uh, links also in the notes. She plays an instrument that can be labeled special, she plays the singing saw. Bia and I, we met in Berlin on the dance floor, and I am a big fan of her dedicated playing of the singing saw. It is a great joy to hear her swing that bow on the saw, and you can easily be transported to a different place by the moaning sound of it. And of course, I love the band she plays in, the Toolbox Orchestra, an all-female band from Berlin, and I am delighted to have you here today. Bia, welcome. Hi. And Bea is also here for a reason. She is here to tell us more about the female musician of this episode, which is Lee Morse. Lena Corinne Lee Morse was, a, was an American jazz and blues singer. She was an actress, composer, and guitarist. She started her career around 1917, but was most popular in the 1920s and early 30s. She is especially known for her multi-octave voice and her style of yodeling. On the website lemors.com, which is run by Ian House, it says, She was five feet tall. She was less than 100 pounds soaking wet, which means she was very light. She spent her childhood in Oregon and Idaho, yet was proud of her family's southern roots. She could hunt and fish and if you deserved it, she could punch your lights out. She was Lee Moore's, one of the most popular female recording artists during the jazz age 20s and 30s, and she is worth remembering. End of quote. And yes, indeed, she's been forgotten over time. Not a lot of people know about her, including me, I have to admit. I've never really digged deep into her music or life story. So... I am very happy about the opportunity to find out more about her today. So, dear Bea, we're going to start with a, with a tough question because I would like to ask you to sum up shortly why Limos caught your attention or what she stands for for you.
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. Limos is a unique in every way and I think um, artistically... Um, her way of interpreting songs, uh, you feel, I feel she can really swing a song, for one. And I can hear her emotions through uh, her musical impulses. Uh, there are several points I wanted to highlight, which why I find her so exemplary. Um, for one, it's the specific sound of her strong, deep singing voice, which I find warm, energetic, and compelling and it's somehow um, some guttural sound of it um, that feels for me a bit inward and I feel drawn into it I don't know why but I feel it's somehow shy or that there's mm. something compelling about this way of her singing And that contradicts also records of uh, stating that she had excellent projection techniques. So it feels it goes both ways, really outwards. And somehow I I feel her as a person. And this adds up to her experimenting with um, this yodeling technique, which she uh, might have called yelps or whoops in the time because yodeling was still not part of folk singing, and she seems to be one of the first persons to incorporate this in jazz mm. and um, uh, singer a songwriting as a style. Um, and somehow this seems like a, a, few, uh, a very early scatting invention that she adds up to her contralto range as an instrument and... Uh, makes her um musical singing voice more uh versatile. Mm. <laughs> I feel especially drawn to her special ways of uh interpretation um of uh songs commonly sung in this period and I feel it is more poetic than other um singers um Um, and despite, uh, of me, I, I want, uh, I want to learn more of these techniques she uses. Um, but I find Limos especially inspiring to, um, find your own voice in music and develop your specialty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I can somehow identify with her as, uh, someone being, um, seen as an outsider, um, and she um, displayed many different talents as well. And I feel often women have more than one talent, but are told to concentrate on one thing, where they are best at. And I don't believe that is necessary True. Um, uh, Limor's is clearly uh, unrecognized nowadays and should be remembered therefore.
0: So thank you very much for your first insights. And um, I would like to go over to the question. If you could tell us some of the rough dates of her biography, like where did she grow up, um, what kind of education did she uh, did she get, or something about her family, because <clears throat> I I read that her family was uh, a very musical. The family had a very musical background, and that she was even on tour with her family, the Taylor Family Concert Company. And uh, maybe you can tell us also something about that.
1: Sure. I believe if we want to understand the musical background of Lee Morse, we have to consider the very different time and circumstances of her upbringing. So Lee was born, as as you said, as Lena Corinne Taylor um, in 1897 in Cove, Oregon, as a ninth of 12 children, and she was the third daughter of this family. They had more boys. Um, her father, John Taylor, was some sort of priest or a traveling preacher, as it was stated, but also worked as an optician or later went into politics. So you can see that there was a link between uh, being a priest and going into politics (laughs) and also probably a link between religion and practicing music. As I understood, music was part of religious practice and it was a way to spend time together as a family in rural areas of Northern America. So some of the folk music and musical fusions uh, developed. Parents taught their kids, Lee's mom. Uh, was said to have a beautiful voice and early on everyone in the family practiced more than one instrument and learned to sing in harmonies together. One source quotes that singing in a deep voice stems from a challenge to sing like her brothers. So um, Lee Morse played the piano, the ukulele and the guitar and the kazoo. Um, At one point, the Taylor family uh, lost their home in Oregon and toured in a covered wagon. To make ends meet with all their children, they started performing their music as as the Taylor family concert company. Um, They settled for a time in Idaho and... um, Lee Morse married at the age of uh, 18 uh, woodworker um, Elmer Morse, where she got her um, name, (laughs) Morse. And a year later, uh, her son Jack arrived. Her father uh, worked in Colorado and Oregon, and Lee Morse often had to accompany him with her singing. So in 1920, uh, her father was elected as a delegate uh, to the Democratic National Convention and Lee performed in San Francisco for that event and was discovered by Will King, a famous vaudeville producer who offered her a contract. For this, um, she made a decision and left her husband and son to pursue a career um, in musical theatre and vaudeville shows at the West Coast. One of her acts that uh, is uh, delivered must have been a 15-minute number called Do You uh, Remember One Small Girl, A Whole Quartet, where she made use of her wide musical range singing songs with her deep husky voice to end with a soprano and also started experimenting artistically, um, working with her voice, developing a sort of yodeling style, which is very unique to this day. In 1924, Morse began to record um, with Pate label, which uh, was uh, uh, bought by Columbia Records in 1927. Um her marriage ended in 24 and uh Elma Morse, her husband, died of um um I don't know what. <laughs> he died. <laughs> <laughs> um later on Lee had a relationship with the pianist Bob Downey, who accompanied her to a concert in London, Piccadilly Theatre, which was her only European experience. Mm-hmm. Um they opened up a club in Texas um, in the mid-30s 30s, and that burned down, unfortunately, in 1939 when Downey ran away with a strip dancer. Uh, she had a hard time coping with this uh, and tried to run a radio show later on, and tried her comeback with one of her self-composed songs, Don't Even Change a Picture on the Wall, which was recorded in 1951. And uh, she died in 1954 in Rochester while visiting a neighbor um, with 57 years old. I understand um, from this uh, short resume that Lee Moore's education was more or less her life. And being on stage from early age of three years and continuing in entertainment business until her death was somehow um, self-evident. So maybe music and performing must be seen as a necessity rather than a choice here. Mm. In an earlier conversation, you said that you are in a Facebook group of
0: Limos, uh, that you also draw information from there. And I'm wondering, where did you find, uh, so what kind of sources of information did you use? What kind of literature? Or was it hard to find, easy to find,
1: easy to get Some of these informations are common you will find a a Wikipedia entry and also on Amazon Um, there is a short uh, curriculum vitae where you find information but these kind of uh, are always the same anecdotes and in uh, some of the libraries you you have archives with her sheet music but uh, You don't find a lot and there are actually no biographies or uh, written statements by herself. So it was interesting to find this fan group Um, and uh, there's uh, some relatives in this group, I believe, and I uh, read something. They stated that Limos. Uh, was on good terms with her son Jack because in some of the books uh, it was... She she is mentioned as an artist, for example, in uh, musical history books about vaudeville theater and uh, musical show uh, of the 20s and 30s. And some of these writers uh, write rather harshly or... Uh, about her um, significance, which I find um, um, upsetting because it is a male view on her biography where they find it rather estranging that she chose um, her musical career instead of living with her son and husband. Um, and in in this Facebook group, I uh, found evidence that it was not the case, and he was she was uh, rather rather close with Jack l- later on. I think in the beginning of his life, it, it wasn't easy for him. I suppose he was sent to a, a boarding school, and um, uh, when she could afford that, because also her. Uh, older brother, he uh, started writing a biography that was uh, 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 unpublished, but left a few glimpses into her uh, life. Um, interesting enough, um, of the 12 children of uh, the Taylors, there were a few... Um, Kids that went into music and some others, uh, I think more the boys, went into politics. And I think it was Glenn who went into politics who started writing and um, gave an insight into the life. And he quoted uh, that when Lee left for taking on her career... Uh, uh, they were all bar feet and uh, when he saw her again she was living in hotel rooms and had shoes and they were still bar feet.
0: Mm -hmm. So you were just mentioning that uh, she was judged or you felt like she was judged as being a rather bad mother for leaving her child behind for the musical career she was aiming for and... My next question is going in a little bit of a different direction, but still my topic is women and their body and how they are seen uh, from the outside. Uh, Because um, Lee was known to have a very wide vocal range and for having a strong and deep voice. And um, in her early years of her career, she was specifically labeled as Miss Limos on a recording, that's what I read, so that folks were aware that uh, the voice they were listening to is indeed a woman and not a man, which could have been mistaken. And it seems um, that her deep voice and her appearance was commented quite a lot, highlighting that it was rather unusual that um, somebody that thin and small has such a deep voice And um, and that it kind of stood the deep voice stood in contradiction to her so-called that's what I found petite frame, and um, in a in a quote of the Variety magazine from 1922, a reviewer wrote about her that she gives the impression of a male impersonator, but yodels rather sweetly. So here again, we find uh, that. Mm, a writer uh, kind of feels the necessity to mention her body and the outcome of her body the voice Um, do you know if this bothered her somehow or are there any kind of comments of her to be
1: found about that there's actually like I just said, no biography written or kind no autobiography uh, on Lim- uh, of Limo's. So we don't know about her feelings, um, but this leaves room to our interpretation. But I did find the archives of photos and postcards and uh, with a lot of um, autographs and notes on them on the website collected by Ian House who was stating, and these are quite entertaining because uh, you, for one you can see uh, that she pulls off quite a variety of impersonations in her costumes and, and the the way she um, shows herself as a musician as well as um, to please a public taste and fashion of the time rather than leaving space for her real personage or feelings Um, but there is a description of her older brother Glenn who wrote this unpublished biography I was mentioning before about her first performance when uh, Lee was three years old and this seems rather interesting for me in this respect of uh, um, women and her body and uh, observing Lee Moore's. The family toured up north um, and uh, was now homeless and they stayed in Denver for a few days with relatives where they saw a musical show and little Lee was very impressed by the female star of the show who was an um, accomplished um, starlet and for days she would repeat how much she liked the pretty lady in the show. When the family ran out of money while going through the Rocky Mountains, they decided to perform a musical act from one day to the other. Every kid had to take a solo. While the father invited a village of mine workers with the slogan, here, 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 you can live forever, the audience was more curious to find out about all the kids performing which I feel is kind of a circus aspect of um, show mastery. Um, So now I wanted to include um, some of Glenn's writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Lena was scheduled to close the show. The pianist played the introduction to her song, but Lena did not start singing. Instead, she went into routine that had the audience giggling. With no coaching, she demonstrated that she had learned something from watching the stage show in Denver. With amazing memory, she imitated the seductive routine her idol had gone through before singing. Lena stood for a moment looking at the audience with a shy smile. And while the pianist started her song again, she puts her hands on her hips turned away from the audience with one knee bent and her heel off the floor and then looked seductively, as seductively as a three-year-old can, over her shoulder, a standard motion for vaudeville actresses in a honky-tonk. Next, Lena rolled her eyes, fluttered her lashes at the men, who were by then roaring with laughter and applauding wildly, Before she had sung a note, the audience began showering the stage with silver and gold coins alike. Lena knew just what to do. She picked up each and every coin, one by one. As she occasionally stooped over with her back to the audience, they would whoop and holler as they got a fleeting glimpse of her frilly, lacy panties. After this happened a few times, she figured out that the outburst came when her back was turned, but she did not understand why. The audience exploded with applause and uproaring laughter when she stooped over once again. Okay, this goes on and on. Um, and uh, after a while, she can sing this her song and uh, earned more than everyone else in her family. And... After this event, the Taylor Family Concert Company was born and they made some money with her, their kids making solo shows. And this clippy, clip can, uh, clipping, uh, as a quote, can be seen as a reference how women performers have been perceived and how Lee started her career with making use of her female sweetness also as a necessity to earn some money. In this case, she was very young and uh, did it for her parents, and, but also for survival hmm. reason. Oh.
0: So we could rather, I don't know, presume probably uh, that she enjoyed being a performer and maybe it didn't bother her at all that people were judging her um, and her body size And her deep voice, maybe she just didn't care.
1: (laughs) I don't know about this, but in a later question, I wanted to answer about this because this is linked to um, some referencing that she had tremendous stage fright. And I I don't know. um, We we can't ask her. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) unfortunately, yes. Okay. So
0: we could move on with the next question. Um, As I've said earlier, she is known for her very unique style of yodeling, and you have mentioned it also. And uh, you have said that it was kind of seen kind of as a commenting of whoops and yeeps. And can you tell us more about that, or maybe more simple or more general? Um, what do you hear when you are listening to her voice?
1: For me, Lee Morse seems to be an exceptional talent, maybe comparable with a nowadays tragic star like Amy Winehouse. Maybe that's a bit far away, but I felt there were some similarities, like uh, a very small person with a very powerful, uh, unique voice and for her time, she was a big star, but only uh, for a short period of time. Um, and there's some other similarities I want to uh, come to later. Um, so for one, Limos had this powerful voice and the chance to explore the limits of her vocal ex- uh, abilities with a pate label where she recorded, they encouraged her to demonstrate her multi-octave range and develop her own style more um, with uh, recording her yodeling um, songs. She incorporated this style of yodeling also in in songs uh, written by others, commonly recorded by other uh, singers and uh, she added uh, um, with very characteristics for her characteristic whoops and leaps. Uh, I believe it adds personality to her voice and uh, also a layer of humor and poetry to her singing that's how I feel when I listen to her recordings mm. they have um, multi layers of meaning um through um so there for one there's this this storytelling maybe in a very dark and husky layer of voice and then suddenly there's this different it it seems like an early form of scatting because the scatting we know of uh, other stars like uh, Ella Fitzgerald is recorded much much later and it's a very free and uh, musical way of using your voice as an instrument whereas in the uh, case of Lee Morse it's also instrumental but more staying with the voice mm-hmm. as even it's it's like a fantasy language um, and it sometimes feels like water mm-hmm. <laughs> or like a, something uh, she is impersonating a star or some some glitter or glamour and, and putting another flavor to her song. Mm-hmm. And that's why I am very drawn to this. Um, but again, in this time, novelty acts were kind of in fashion. And what I find interesting, in quite a few books, as I uh, said before, uh, Lee Moore's style is dismissed as a gimmick. And uh, it was said to be insignificant and, or even ugly. Um, and although I see that Lee Moore started with her yodeling experimentation in 1924, whereas Jimmy Rogers, the country singer, got quite famous for his blue yodel, uh, which was recorded in 1927 and 1928. So secretly, I believe Jimmy Rodder- Rogers might have been inspired by Lee Moore's yodeling. Uh, and so should we. Hmm. Start yodeling, Nina. (laughs) Maybe I will sometime. (laughs) No, I just feel it's it's a nice way of um, thinking about singing and trying different things. Yes. No, I totally agree. I mean,
0: I'm a a solid city girl. I haven't been exposed to yodeling a lot and I grew up far away from where yodeling is part of German culture. But... um, uh, I I uh, I do believe that it's an interesting thing, and I, I see the, the improvisation, mm, the power of improvisation in it too.
1: But the funny thing is, um, you were um, mentioning this in your introduction that Lee Morse might have been proud to be uh, of, of her southern roots, and I don't believe she necessarily had southern roots but it's old so this might have been also something in fashion or, that pleased the audience so the but i'm not i'm not sure if this is just a trope of uh, my thinking but in general for me yodeling is not linked to bavaria or mountains yeah. this is a different kind of folk tradition but yodeling uh, in the way Um, I hear it in the songs of Limon it's more an artistic uh, way of experimenting what your voice can do and Mm -hmm. um, I think in modern pop music you often now have people showing off the range of their voice from a very uh, a low range to, uh, to flipping like a Joni Mitchell-like uh, lighter tone. So this could be also be playing uh, versatile with your voice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hmm.
0: I'm wondering, now that you've uh, talked about the yodeling and its special sound, um, if it's somehow linked to the special sound of the singing song.
1: Well, I have theories about um, (laughs) every person having their uh, um, own unique tone. Mm. And I just can't recall the the English word for schwingung. Mm, Swing. Yes. So everyone has swing. And
0: you just have to find
1: out your own vibration Mm. of the tone. Yeah. And that's maybe a commonplace, but for me this is the underlying motif to go into music mm-hmm. and pursue some kind of freedom in this.
0: Yeah, very nice. In your short introduction at the beginning, you mentioned that you feel that Lee Morris was an outsider. Uh why do you have the connection? Uh that she's an outsider or what makes you feel that she's an outsider
1: I think she's an outsider because it's only uh, a small uh, now for us novelty acts of the time like of uh, 1920s to 1930s seem marginalized in, in musical history but back then it might have been like a bigger group of fans and more spotlight on those. Uh, so at first, uh, at Pate Records, she was accompanying herself and uh, was singing more songs with her musical exploration and the yodeling. and then she uh, was teamed up with uh, Ukulele Ike, Cliff uh, Richards, I think, Was it his name? And uh, so they were also an unlikely pair, um, musically uh, a ukulele and a yodeling lady. Um, But this wasn't fashion and people loved it, whereas now seen from the 70s uh, and 80s, some of the musical... um, Lexica I, I I found her mentioned uh, they didn't see any uh, significance in her exploration they found her more like a, a clown's act it's like yeah she had a, she looked rather sweet but uh, what did she do musically and they didn't find uh, it had any importance like i feel she really did explore uh, her voice and she she um, inspired other artists and uh, therefore I feel she still kind of polarizes audience some people love her and some people hate her kind of singing
0: hmm.
1: yeah.
0: so if we uh, move on uh, to her music a little bit. Uh, she was also a composer. Can you tell us a little bit more um, of some of her compositions? I know only the Golden Dream Girls, one of her of her uh, compo- compositions. Or would you like to highlight any of her other recordings, or recordings in general, not only her compositions?
1: Yes, uh, Limos was quite a star, as I said before, um, and she was one of the female singers recorded most. Uh, so her discography uh, included 209 songs, uh, 53 self-composed. Uh, her compositions, uh, namely Telling Eyes, Those Daisy Days... An old-fashioned romance, someone will miss me sometimes, rocking chair blues, only this time I'll be true, lonesome for you, and so forth. And Limos was said she preferred to perform only her compositions because it was more profitable for her and it also raised um, the sheet sales um somewhere I picked up that she, uh, her sheet music was especially popular in France at the time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is peculiar, but they liked her. <laughs> now sheet music of her compositions are really hard to be found Um there are some archives and university libraries that have specialized on sheet music, but I have only rarely found some of her compositions. Um, more often, you have to transcribe by listening to the original recordings. Um, you mentioned. Uh, golden dream girl this is a beautiful romantic song and so she recorded as most of the songs she composed i believe are the so-called torch songs yes mm. that are um i don't know if you could translate them into Fackel <laughs> Lieder <laughs> it sounds rather ridiculous in german um, <laughs> scary and different associated yes, yes. but um as I see these are mostly uh, romantic songs or the sweet melody or text where someone is in love or lost love and um in this specific song uh, we find uh, a problem with which we um which occurs sometimes with this kind of song material that some of the texts seem somewhat outdated. And uh, unfortunately, this applies to a great deal of other song material of that time. This is mostly because of the role models from back then uh, where uh, women knuckle themselves down for a lover. Or um, um, here, it sounds rather weird for us nowadays. Um, And maybe it leaves room to alter the text or the role specified but I'm very um, cautious to say that we should do this it's just sometimes with this song if you look into it golden dream girl you are my own south sea pearl since that night on the sand your little brown hands forevermore that sweet Hawaiian shore so it's kind of okay but still a bit of exot in this uh, which we might not want to um, repeat or um, uh, we are happy to change this nowadays
0: mm. yeah and the torch singers uh, it's just a, a small side note for people who might not know it's uh, yeah like you said it's a it's a expression for uh usually women uh, the Phrase torch singer is not used for male singers. It's uh, very specific for sentimental love songs, the torch songs for women that women sang, or the un, um, unrequited love or loss, something. Yeah, you mentioned it also. Um, Lee Moore, she was very famous in the 20s and 30s. But um in an earlier talk the two of us had before uh, having this recorded interview now you said that uh, she had quite some opponents um so how uh how how would you describe uh, who were these components uh other components the opponents <laughs> and why why was there was there um a lot of qu- quarrel or um
1: Well, I don't know if they had rivalry um, or open um, fights. I don't. I don't know about that. But of course, there was some. They. They were um, um, in their time the ones uh, that that were recorded and had uh, records and uh, uh, were competing for jobs, I guess. So her female opponents opponents, uh, were Ruth Etting, Annette Hanshaw, and Helen Kane because they sang the same song material and there was a squad of uh, white women musicians um, uh, that were in fashion in the time of the 20s to the 30s. Lee Morse was a contemporary of the black singer icons like Ethel Waters and uh, Mildred Bailey or Bessie Smith, but uh, for the white singers of the time, I believe they had very distinct style, not only copying blues and jazz songs of black American singers, but developing another form of storytelling and romantic ballads, like the so-called Torch songs we just mentioned, and some other approaches to playing with their voice, like, for example, later the invention of the Betty Boo character with a squeaking baby voice by Helen Kane. Hmm. And there was a huge law fight uh, about this character later on where it wasn't clear who invented this. So there was some rivalry going on. For uh, Lee Moore's career, there's a particular anecdote which can highlight the significance of rivalry. Um, So in 1930, Lee landed a leading role um, in a Siegfeld Broadway production called Simple Simon. Um, In one performance, supposedly the piano bike rolled in with her on top pitch drunk. For this she lost her job to a Ruth Etting who took over her role and then sang um, the song Ten Cents a Dance which became her signature song and made her famous. This song had to be rewritten for her in a more common single octave octave range because Lee Moss had performed it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In this I also included something I found in many uh, of uh, the writings about Lee Moore that it was said she um, always preferred stage audiences to small clubs and she must have commented commented on this once Um, I get so nervous, I can't stand it, I want to scream. And this quote uh, was interpreted in a way that her stage, stage fright might be linked to her drinking problem that developed um, throughout her career and unfortunately made her a heavy drinker later on and might have caused to her early death.
0: Hmm. Um, are you aware if uh, of... If some of her compositions are played or heard in repertoires of bands nowadays, it's a bit of a cut now <laughs> I know <laughs> um but as we were talking about her compositions, and you said it's quite it's quite some it's quite a number of compositions that she did um I'm also wondering because i wouldn't i don't know a lot of her songs, and I would probably not recognize the songs if I hear them. Um, but maybe you are more aware i don't know do you know if if it's if her songs are played or recognized
1: no i actually don't know of anyone performing her songs maybe there is but i feel there are almost no bands playing her compositions but her songs are still played in dj sets Mm -hmm. and that's why i feel somehow she's not out of the picture but she could have been more inside with remembering her with her compositions and then getting more uh, like closer to, to know all what she has written mm. and I feel there's a necessity to change that. I feel we can be an ambassadors for Morse bringing her contributions to music to attention) yes <laughs> yeah it's good that our band will start playing some of her compositions soon
0: yes can't wait <laughs> yes and now that you are mentioning it um i mean first of all thank you very very much for for uh sharing what you know about her you did a lot of research about her and um i'm uh i'm very happy to hear more about her, uh, her. and um but uh you just linked uh, the mentioning of her songs uh, to your own band, the Toolbox Orchestra, and um, now maybe it is time to tell us a little bit about your recent project, if you, if you want, and what kind of role does Lee play in the project. Would you like to announce something? Yeah. Here's
1: your chance. <laughs> Yohoo! Thanks for inviting me, Nina. <laughs> with the Toolbox Orchestra, we plan uh, to do a recording this year with r- women composers only. And so everyone in the band, we have a six-piece band, uh, could choose two composers. And we did some research on those, and I chose Limous. And I feel deeply honored that I will be singing, singing two of those Limous songs in the future hopefully we can include the songs um, into our concert repertoire soon and start with our mission Mm. (laughs) yeah um, to invigorate music written by very special women because mm, performing more songs of women composers that are not well known nowadays does them justice for their hardships and life struggles and can inspire all of us to outgrow grow our limitations. That
0: sounds like a very necessary and lovely project, and I am very much looking forward uh, to hear these songs. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So thank you once more. Um, it was uh, lovely to have you here, and um, see you soon. Thank you. As with all productions, this podcast could only be realized because of a team. In this case, a wonderful group of female distributors and supporters. Thank you all for encouragement, help and advice. Special thanks go out to Anne Borchers for playing the bass, Andrea Ramirez-Ruiz for the visuals, Zoe Langdell for mother tongue support and François Perdriou for mixing and mastering. This podcast is part of the Swinging Europe Network. And co-funded by the European Union. Thank you for listening. If you have any kind of feedback you want to share, be it a suggestion for another female musician to be represented here, something you feel that is missing you want to discuss, whatever it is, feel free to reach out to me via email to nina at syncopation.de. And remember, every day is Women's Day. Yes, babes. Bye bye, and Tchaikovsky.